0: it's Chris, it's Sunday night, it's the Prodigy Maker Show, every Sunday night 9.45pm on Facebook Live. It's good to see all you folks again, I'm sorry I missed last week. I was traveling up to Vermont to my club to work on my clay courts, and I missed you guys, I missed the discussion, but we're back for another show, and we've got some great topics tonight. I'm here with my co-host Sammy, the Academy Dog who is currently sleeping in his cage, so he's not going to help out much tonight, but Sammy, how you doing, buddy? Doing good? Wait, wait, guys, here he comes. All right, I'm going to have you say hello. I know we have some Sammy fans. Hold on, here he is. Come say hi. Come say hi, buddy. Say hi to all the friends all around the world. Say hello. Hey, hey, say hello. Hey, hey. Huh. All right. Good boy. Good boy. All right. So, Sammy's in the house. We're all here. Wanted to talk to you guys about junior development and high performance tennis. That's what we do every Sunday night. I was working all weekend long. Some long hours this weekend, but I'm ready to talk tennis. How about you? You ready? There he is. The legend. The legendary Sammy, the academy dog. <laughs> you know, guys, a lot of kids are very excited to see Sammy in Vermont at our, at our summer camp coming up soon, so if you're coming to Vermont, you get to meet Sammy in person, and he helps me run the show. Dogs are allowed at my tennis club in Vermont, and actually, it's kind of cool. We have a friend of mine, John Yandel, who you guys may know from tennisplayer.net. He's a very well-known tennis analyst. And the leader in the tennis industry, he's going to be coming up to the club this summer to do some filming, which is going to be really awesome. And we're going to film a couple articles. We're going to film an article on volleys. So kind of break down my system and the way that I develop the volley and the net game. And also... John is going to help me film uh, an article series on the drop shot, so we'll be filming that up in Vermont at my camp in June, so I'm very excited to have John Yandel visiting the academy this summer, and I've done a lot of articles with John for tennisplayer.net over the years, and he's going to be bringing his dog to hang out with Sammy. That's sort of where that connection came from. So John Yandel is coming to Vermont from California, and he's going to be bringing his dog to hang out with my dog. That's going to be cool, right, Sammy? Going to have a buddy? Yeah, going to have a buddy. All right, so let's see who's tuning in. I'll wait for everyone to sign on and join the conversation. I know some of you like to just listen to the tennis talk, and that is perfectly fine. If you have a comment or a question, you can just post it, uh, post a comment or question, and I, I get it in my feed, and I try to answer everyone's uh, question and try to uh, share in the discussion with everyone uh, as best I can. If I miss your question or comment, somehow, if, it's, if it skips in my feed, I will always check the, the comments later and try to answer uh, via text if I, if I don't get to answer your question live on video. So let's see who's tuning in. My friend Naeem Azar is waving. Thank you for waving. Hani Sharkawi is waving. I appreciate that, guys. Appreciate you guys supporting the show. Donnie Levitt is watching. Donnie is watching every Sunday night. Donnie, thanks for tuning in, buddy. I like your profile pic there. Nice. Star Wars. Let's see. Hugo Ball Green is watching. My old friend Jim Kane is on the program tonight. What's up, Jim? Let me know if you have any technical questions. You know, guys, on this show, we love to talk technique, high-performance training, and junior development. Those are usually the topics on hand, on tap. But, you know, we cover everything. Tactics, uh, general tennis questions. We talk about pro tennis sometimes and the state of the game. So anything you guys want to talk about, just let me know, and we will do that. Tonight, I wanted to talk about Uh, Red, orange, green. Sometimes I call it the myth of red, orange, green or the myth of U10 tennis. And what is it? What is it? You want to go on the couch? Guys, one moment. Sammy's got to go to the couch. He likes to snuggle up there. You're going to snuggle in there? Okay. All right. Come on. Go do it. Go for it. He's so stubborn. Like, he's really stubborn. He, He wants his couch time. I usually give him a little couch time on Sunday night. So Sammy's chilling on the couch. We're talking tennis. Let's do this, guys. Vamos! Let's do this the Spanish way. Late night Sunday. Appreciate you guys for tuning in this late. I know it's not easy, and everyone's busy. But we usually have an amazing discussion, and we get uh, we cover some of the the big topics in high performance. So tonight, red, orange, green. Let's dig into it a little bit. Why do I call it a myth? Well. Because it's unproven for elite development. I don't think it's a myth for making the game fun for kids. But I think it's a myth for high performance. I think it's a myth as a proven way to develop top players. And so that's kind of what I'm getting at. And, and I think you don't want to... You, you can't equate one for the other. And so I think a lot of times that you hear that there's evidence that red, orange, green is a better way but i don't believe there's evidence for uh that red orange green is a better system for for training elite juniors and that's sort of what i focus on i focus on working with elite kids kids who are you know trying to be top college players top in the country some of the kids want to play professional and i'm not sold that the red red orange green method or you know whatever you want to call it play and stay or you know every country has a different name for it sometimes in the us we call it u10s or uh what's the other name we call it in the u.s uh tout like tennis uh tennis uh under 10s you know tennis under 10s you know we have every country's got a different name for it basically you know low compression balls and uh modified courts and you know i personally i i use a lot of yellow ball with my young players and I think I'm doing a pretty good job. I have a very good track record and developing top-ranked kids in the country, and I don't really have an issue using the yellow ball, especially if the kid is uh, gifted and talented. So I just know from my own experience, I'm doing a lot of yellow ball training and without, without a deleterious effect on my players or their development. And I know that there are You know, it's a big debate. It's a very, very controversial subject. A lot of coaches really are, I don't want to insult anyone, but I think that many coaches are completely brainwashed and they almost have a cultish following uh, of the red, orange, green approach, uh, the mini tennis approach, the low compression ball approach, whatever you want to call it. And I think other coaches are sort of slavishly anti colored ball they're they're obsessed with the yellow ball and they they think that there's no you know they they think that it's a total scam to use a low compression ball or play mini tennis and i i'm sort of in the middle you know i i think that the red orange green is good very good for introducing kids to the game very good for making the game fun but not proven as a better faster way to develop high performance kids so that's kind of what i'm getting at uh, if you agree or disagree, let me know. Uh, share a comment or ask a question. We can sort of dig into the discussion. I know there's a lot of people tuning in. I see some old friends. Nicholas Wagner is watching. Very good high-performance coach in the U.S. here. I see Mark Lewis is watching. Guy Al Pitts Black is a regular guy. So really appreciate you supporting the program on a late Sunday night. Greg Zachary is waving. That's my Facebook buddy. What's up, man? Pei Bo is watching. Thank you, amigos. I appreciate you tuning in. So I had an email this week. What sort of spurred the discussion was I had an email from a parent, and he asked me about red, orange, green, and he said that in his section, I think was the little the intermountain section, that. The Little Mo canceled one of its young eight and under divisions because there was no one who wanted to play with the green or yellow ball. In other words, all the kids there were no kids from that section who knew or wanted to play with the green or yellow ball, so Little Mo canceled uh the eight and under's. And I thought that was kind of interesting. And the dad asked me, you know, what do you think about this, Chris? Do you think that young kids can play with the yellow ball in a full court? Do you think they they should be all training with the red ball? And I would say that in my experience, when you have a gifted kid, it's very easy for them to play with a yellow ball. I would say generally around seven or eight years old. You know, certainly by nine or ten, when you have a kid who's talented, who's got some ability, they can play with a lot of control with the yellow ball. And it's really not not a big deal, but it's such a controversial issue. Like you get into such a firestorm these days. If you start, uh, you know, you bring up that, that topic, you say, well, I have some kids, they're doing yellow ball in some parts of the country, some clubs, it's, it's, uh um, I mean, you can really get a, a lot of, a lot of criticism and, and you can, there's a lot of haters when it comes to, to uh, that discussion, and and I certainly am not. Uh, I've certainly experienced that. Some of the some of the messages that I get from parents are really outrageous. I have parents who are scolded, who are uh, castigated, and and basically told that they're ruining their children if they dare to play them with the yellow ball. I mean, I have reports from many parents. You know, they come to me from all over. All over the US and some from internationally, international parents. And many times they can't even find a club where they could train with a yellow ball. It's, it's, uh, uh, verboten. It's forbidden. It's a taboo subject to even bring up with your, with a coach at a club. So this is a, a cultish, cultish behavior around the country. I'll just speak for the US because that's where I coach cultish behavior where, where there's no dis- room for dissension. There's no room for a middle ground. It's very black and white. You either train red, orange, green, or you're ruining your kid. You are going to injure your player. Your player's not going to develop into a high performance player because they're not following the correct pathway. You know, these are some of the messages that parents are getting, and I think These are very negative and harmful messages. And I I don't agree. You know, I have for years now, for years, I've been training yellow ball. Sometimes I have a little kid, maybe, you know, if if they're very young, we might train with the softball. But pretty soon, I transition them to yellow. I have some players who play occasionally with the green ball on the full court. And it's really not a big deal. It's very easy to do if you're, you're a good player, like I'm a I'm a high level player, um, you know, former Division 1 college player and futures player and I can control the ball very well. And if I'm doing a private lesson, it's very easy for me to give the ball to a player the way that I want, you know, I'm not going to bounce it over their head or anything like that. So I achieve a good control with my with the kids that I'm I'm working with and it's really it's not that big of a challenge and you can kind of move the kids uh along very quickly. When you're just dealing with one ball, you don't have to do these stages. You know, we we'll go from one stage to the next, and there's a lot of waitings, a long waiting period. And and so I just find it very simple and clean, a very easy way to develop players. And I don't do a lot of little kid groups. So I'm interested if there are coaches out there who do a lot of little kid groups. What What is your perspective on that? I know if I had a, a group of players that were very little, I I, pro, I, I might use more of a low-compression ball with those kids to get uh, some better control and rallies if they're rallying together, maybe get some longer rallies in the points. But, guys, I just don't think it's a black-and-white issue. I don't think one is necessarily evil or terribly wrong. You know, I think you can develop high-performance players using a red-orange-green pathway. And I think you can also develop high-level players uh, using a yellow ball. And you're not going to injure a kid if you use a yellow ball. I, I mean, if you're careful and thoughtful and you're conscientious about what you're doing, you are you're have a good awareness and you're using some common sense, you're not going to hurt a player if they're seven or eight and they're playing with a yellow ball. I, I, I have no doubt in my mind about that. I can't prove it to you guys, but... There's, I don't have the uh, study to support that, but this is obviously my my opinion from years of working with little kids in the trenches. I think that using modified frames is a good idea. Using uh, the right, you know, uh, a size racket that a young player can manage. Uh, it it's probably not healthy for a young player to be swinging a very heavy long stick when they're small. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. You know, it's going to put more wear and tear on the shoulder and the elbow and the wrist, for example. So, you know, those are some thoughts. Modified rackets, good idea. The ball system, not really necessary. Now, can you do it that way? Yeah, and I would never say that it's, 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 a, it's wrong. You know, I'm not venomously or vehemently against um uh, color, you know, low compression balls and that methodology, I do see a lot of pitfalls and problems that in, in the implementation, especially here in the U.S., I'd like to talk about that too. The The politics, if for one, the politics of red, orange, green at the local club is out of control. And what I mean by that is the coaches have all the power and there's all these meetings where they The committees where they determine who's ready to move up and and who's not and blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of shuck and jive. And there's a lot of playing favorites. And there's a lot the parents have to kiss a lot of ass, you know, to get their kid to move up another level. It's ridiculous, guys. Absolutely ridiculous. Some of the stories that I hear from parents at their club is just absurd. It's crazy. Cray, cray as I like to say, totally nuts. Bananas, as my wife would say, you know, totally bananas. Some of the stories that I'm hearing of the politics and the team meetings and the committees. And, you know, you you don't want to step on anyone's toes. You don't want to ask the coach, you know, is my son or daughter, are they, is little Johnny ready yet? I don't really want to ask because then the coach might get pissed and then he's going to keep little Johnny another three months in the colored. In the progress in the the stage, you know, I mean, come on, guys, it's just, it's created a lot a ripple effect that I don't think we anticipated in terms of the politics uh, of power, the the power and politics at the club. And there's some other deleterious effects that I I've seen. And I've and I've heard stories from parents who are in those kinds of systems, you know, but let's get into that I wanted to answer a few comments that are posted. Let's see who's tuning in here. Let, just let me scroll down and we'll kind of get into it a little bit. But yeah, I wanted to address the... I had a nice parent who sent me an email with a question about that. So I sort of wanted to dig into the topic. And he said that he would watch the show and, and, and that would help him. So, you know, trying to help that dad out here tonight. And I think it's, a, it's kind of a hot topic, big controversy that, uh, around the tennis coaching world. So Greg Zachary is a regular on the show. Greg, thanks for supporting our show. He says, I saw a seven-year-old with a double wrist surgery before ROG came around. That is a scary thing to see. Well, Greg, I'll tell you, I've never in my life seen a child that age with a a wrist injury or surgery. And, I mean, what does that mean? That's one example. That's not a study. It's It's not scientific evidence that... That there was one kid who got injured. I'm sure it's possible that a child got injured. But was that because of the yellow ball or was it because of a very heavy racket? A racket that was too big for the kid to swing? You know, what was, I mean, what, is, what do you, what's your takeaway from that? You, you saw one child with the wrist surgery. So, so what? And does that mean we, we every child that plays with the yellow ball is going to get hurt? I don't think that's true. And in my experience, and I've, I'm sure you're an experienced coast, uh, coach, amigo, but in my experience, I've never had an, an injury. I've never seen that. I've never seen a little kid with a wrist that I've worked with. I've worked with hundreds of little kids. I'm not saying my experience uh, is evidence for all, but I mean I can tell you that I haven't seen it. Uh, coaches, chime in. Have you seen a lot of little kid injuries? I mean, the, the thing is was it the racket or is it the ball you know, but I'm a little tired of of coaches telling parents that if they dare to play their kid with a a fast ball that they're gonna they're sh- for sure gonna get hurt because there's no evidence of that we don't have any there's no proven studies of that you You show me the link the study show me show me where the study's at that prove that if you play with yellow you're gonna get hurt because I'll just tell you. There's been decades of, decades of experiential evidence from years in the trenches. Kids played with a yellow ball for decades, man, and I, I don't remember a lot of wrist injuries. And in little kids used to play with heavy wooden rackets, you know, and 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 yellow balls and full core. and yeah. I mean, is that probably not the best thing to do with a little kid? Yeah, but you know not many kids were getting hurt from that but i think what does it is that the the racket is, i'm more concerned about the weight and the size of the stick and obviously over overplaying like you know kids playing way too much or taking too many swings or too many serves at a young age you know it's more for me it's more about the coaching and the common sense of the parent the com- the the guidance of the coach that keeps a kid safe it's not the ball Or even the racket for that matter. You know, you get little kids playing with a heavy racket. What should they do? They should choke up on the racket. They shouldn't be holding it down at the bottom where it's such a long lever that they can't control it. You know, they shouldn't be doing a ton of overhead serves with that heavy racket. You know, so it's just, it's a matter of having a smart coach and a smart parent running the show and guiding the kids so they don't do something stupid and get hurt. You know, so, you know, I'm not really persuaded by um, one one example here or there, a personal story about a kid getting hurt, although I'm sure that's a pretty scary thing. Mike Vasquez is waving. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for supporting the program, guys. Very interesting discussion tonight. John Locke is watching. Sounds like a new viewer. Appreciate you tuning into the show. VRL Bunila says, good evening. What's up, man? Hola. Thank you, amigo, for tuning in. Thanks for the Shout out. Appreciate it. Tom Downs is watching. Wait a minute. That's my Facebook buddy. What's up, Tom? How are you? Tom is a very accomplished coach. And we share a we share a former player that we worked with, right, Tom? Yeah. She we won't name her name, but she's got a tiger mom. We know that. A lot of the top players have tiger parents. Come on, guys, you know that. And let me tell you, a lot of those top kids are not playing with the red or an orange ball when they're like eight or nine. I'll just say this, any kid who's actually really gifted like way off the bell curve, like way over to the right of the bell curve, they can easily, and I mean easily, play with a yellow ball at seven, eight, nine. It's not not challenging. In fact, sometimes I joke with my parents and say, I'd like to find a ball that's faster like a different color that's faster for those talented kids. So then it would speed up their nervous system and their their reactions and get their eyes sharper and and make them challenge their movement even more. You know, if there was a faster ball than yellow, I'd try to maybe find that for the kids that are really gifted. How about that? I'll just go out on the limb and say that, guys. I'm looking for, can somebody manufacture a faster ball? Because that's what it's, it's not a challenge for really gifted kids. So if you ever work with a, like a talented athlete, a really good athlete, and I work with a lot of them at seven, eight, nine, it's, it's not a big deal because they move really well and they have great eyes and you just teach them how to move up and back so that the ball's not bouncing over their head. You teach them to take the ball on the rise and it's not a big deal and they're not going to get injured. So... You know, that, that's how I see it, that's based on my experience. And I'm tired of coaches and whoever out, whoever's out there in the industry just shoving that myth down, down everyone's throats and scaring the, scaring the bejesus out of, out of uh, parents, you know, parents coming to me saying, I'm afraid to play with the yellow, I think I should wait one more year to play with the yellow because I don't want to get hurt, you know. It's more about the stick, you know, than the ball. Because if you teach kids to move well, the yellow ball is not an issue. If you teach a kid to move, so what should they do? If the ball is bouncing high, what should they do? They should move back quickly. Get in position. Come on. Or teach them to take it on the rise. Come on. You know. Guys, just teach. Teach the game well. Like I said, I really believe that development is about the coach, the philosophy, and the parent. The parent the The intelligence and the experience and the common sense and the guidance from the parent and the coach are what make a good player. It's not the balls, it's not the racket it's not the size of the court it's the it's usually the coach and if it's with the prodigy kids, a lot of times it is the parent the parent is a big part of the deal and you know if a parent does something stupid or if a coach doesn't teach the skill well you're going to have. Issues. What I don't care what color you're using. And I'd like to get back to that point in a moment. Because the red, orange, green that we see in the US is not the red, orange, green mini tennis that you see in France or in Belgium or in some of the European countries that are that do it really well. You know, so that's the other thing. The way that we do red, orange, green here in the US, I'm just gonna say it, it's a joke. It's laughable. It's, it's a shame the way we do it. We don't do it the way they do it in France and Belgium because they teach the game better. They teach technique better. They teach footwork better. They teach more creative skills with the racket, you know, more creativity and feel. And, and, and what we do is we just take the red, orange, green, and play games. You know, that's not really what it's all about. You know, some of the leaders of of games based approach, we can get into games based approach, because I've had a lot of discussions and debate about that. And that's a controversial issue too. But you know, it's not it's not they like to say the advocates of game based of GBA, game based approach. They like to say, well, it's not games-based approach, it's game-based approach. You know? So they like to make that differentiation, and they're really sort of cocky when they say it. You know, like, it's, it's not games-based approach. But in a way, those, those experts are right. And here in the U.S., we do a lot of games-based approach. We don't teach a lot of technique and skill within a game. We just play games you know, to make it fun for the kids. And what you see is, sorry, I got off on a little tangent here, but what you see, just want to get this point out there, is that what you see with red, orange, green in the U.S. is you see a lot of players coming out of U10 who are disaster technically, they have very poor movement and footwork skills, and they don't have a lot of a creative game with good feel. The stroke production is not good. So... It's not the same in Europe. In France and Belgium, you see players who are 8, 9, 10 and they're playing on a mini tennis court, but they look damn good. You know, they look like little pros, moving beautifully, elasticity, you know, variety of stroke production. It's it's a beautiful thing to see and that's doing red, orange, green the right way, guys because they teach technique, you know, they're heavily invested in technical training. And I think that's what's wrong here in the US. Like we have, we have the red, orange, green, we have the small courts, mini tennis, but we just screw it up. Like the adaptation to the US has gone completely off track. And it's devolved. It's just a devolution. It's devolved into games, you know, games and, and and stiff strokes and poor movement. It's sad. It's very sad. Because I see all those kids at 10, at 11, at 12, they all come to me for high performance, coming out of different clubs with U10 programs, and their games are, are a disaster, technically, skill-wise, you know. So that, you know, maybe that's don't, don't mean to get off on a rant here, but you guys know how I sometimes I get passionate about certain subjects, you know. We can get into that a little more. Let me get to some of your questions and comments because I see a lot of stuff thrown up on the board here. My buddy Paul Zubarev is waving. I think Paul's tuned in before. Thank you for supporting the show. My friend Michael Furman, Carlos Carrera is waving. Got a lot of regulars tuning in. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the support on a late Sunday night. Let's get after it. Let's get into this, guys. Greg Zachary says, For groups, it's great because you can scale high-performance drills on the small format, and competitive drill can make more sense for eight-year-olds. Like I said, I'm not a black-and-white guy. I think it's very true that for group training, using a low-compression ball... Make some sense, you know. You can slow things down and and develop better control. So, especially if the kids are rallying and playing points and doing something in cooperation, for example, that it it makes sense to me, Greg. That that that's a uh, a good use of a low compression ball, especially in the early stages. You know, I I, I don't want to get off on too many rants here or tangents, but. I have a lot of thoughts on this. I mean, this could take up the whole show, guys. I mean, forget the other topics. We were going to talk about how the forehand follow-through to the shoulder is dead or it's dying because it is. I don't even know if we're going to get to any other technical topics. This topic is huge, and it's so big and fiery. It's it's a major it's a major subject that is on tennis coaches' um, on their minds, and it's on parents' minds. And I didn't—I guess I didn't realize uh, we'd have so much interest tonight, but we do, which is actually good. It's good to have passionate discussion. Let's see, maybe I—I might get flame tonight. It's okay; I can handle the flames. I can take it, you know. Let's see. Greg Zachary says, as a coach, it just makes you very conscious. Yeah, when you see a kid get injured, it kind of freaks you out, right? Like I've had some students with uh, stress fracture in their back or, you know, whatever your experience is with kids, you sort of become very sensitive to those those stories because those stories, they're emotional. There may be kids that you know very well and they're, they're kids who you've spent a lot of time with and when they get hurt, it, it does have a, a deep impact. I totally understand that. But what I'm saying is, we try to be objective in the way that we teach and then the recommendations that we give to parents. Try to make sure that we're giving advice that's evidence based, that's based on some, if possible, uh, some sort of uh, good science, you know, good scientific study, a well constructed scientific study. And if not, based on. Uh, uh, a lot of experience with hunt, with a with a large group of players, a large cohort, you know, a, a large um, base to, to make your your determinations from. Because if it's just a few players, you know, that's not a great sample size. Try to try to make your 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 decisions and your recommendations based on a broad group of players that you've worked with over many years. A large sample size, in other words, and also, if possible, uh, scientific study. Unfortunately, sometimes in tennis, we don't have enough scientific studies. Uh, We don't have that much research to go on. So we're left with experience and common sense and opinions of the experts in the field who who have sort of done a lot of trial and error and have been doing it a long time. So we're left with that many times. All right. Jesse Cooper is waving. Thank you, amigo. Top Tennis Tennis is waving. Thank you. Larry Klein is a regular. Thank you so much for supporting the show, guys. Appreciate it. Wait a minute. We got a a rock star on the program. Ben Sterner is watching and waving. What's up, buddy? Ben Sterner, are you training your kids with the red, orange, green? Are you going to go yellow? You've got some little superstars there. Ooh, big decision. I'll just tell you this. If you choose to go yellow... I know how to do it well, and I can do it safely. If you choose to go red, orange, green, I could teach that too. You know, it's, it's about the coach and the philosophy and the knowledge and the experience. It's not so much about the, the ball or the size of the court. We are obsessed with that here in the U.S., and it's become like a cult. C-U-L-T, cult. And I like to call it the way I see it. That's the way I see it, guys. Let's see who we got on the show. Wait a minute. Hugo Ball Green, an authentic French coach, my assistant coach, is going to chime in. He says, in France, it's all about teaching technique to the kids, using a lot of material on the court for the little ones, cones, hula hoops, plastic lines, etc., and keeping it as interactive and fun as possible for the little kids. Eventually, at the end of the session, we'll play games. So, yeah, that's your experience, Hugo, in France. I wonder if all other other you know top coaches in France would agree. I would be interested in getting other French coaches and uh, on and getting their perspective. But I think you're essentially right. I think the technique is the the key. You know, you can make tennis fun for little kids, but you can't neglect their technical training. And that's what I see happening so much here in the US. You have just hundreds and hundreds of clubs and thousands of coaches who are teaching games, and they're not teaching enough technical skill within the game. And I think that's why you see so many poor players coming out of U10. I think it's really an epidemic here in the US. I don't know if it's like that in other countries, but in my experience, especially here in the Northeast, northeastern part of the US, we have so many players coming out of U10 with very poor foundations. I'll tell you a little anecdote. I've been to some orange ball tournaments here in New York and they are a joke, an absolute travesty. And what I mean by that is it's not like Belgium, folks. You don't see little superstars that look like little pros on, on a ping-pong-sized court. What you see is kids standing around, not moving their feet, very stiff strokes, very short rallies. I mean, what are we doing, guys? I mean, isn't orange ball progression supposed to make the kids better? Improve their technique, improve their tactical skills, improve the rally length, right? I mean, USDA is forcing everyone to do Orange Ball now. It's required. It's a mandate. We can discuss that as well, guys, because it's a stupid mandate. I have so many parents who hate it. It's a big turnoff. It's just another way that USTA has made the game more complicated for parents and families at a young level, just a big, big turnoff, you know, and you got to play with this you know, USDA regulations. I don't know if it's like this in every section, but you have to play with a very small racket. I think it's 23, 24, 25, maybe it's 25, you know, so you have kids who are training with green and yellow. They're, they're able to play green and yellow, but then they have to go through all these tournaments with orange, with the smaller stick. I mean, it's crazy stuff. Crazy making. I had some kids who had to have a special small racket that they would use for tournaments. So they would have to switch size of the racket because they couldn't play with their normal racket to get through orange ball progression because it's a mandate. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's just what a pain in the ass. You know, I don't know what to say about that, guys. Yeah, if you're a good player, you can get through the orange ball progression very easily. Just another example of junior tennis doing things, making things more complicated, making things less, less fun. And the goal is to like, make the players better, but it doesn't. I mean, if you see American orange ball, it's, it's terrible. The skill level is terrible. It's an embarrassment. You look at Belgian players at eight years and nine years, man. They got that big technique book over there, and they're not messing around. And in France, it's the same, man. They they love their technique. They teach beautiful skills, man. That's what you got to do with those little superstars. All right, let's see what we got here. Jim Kane says, we got a lot of comments up on the board. I may have struck a nerve. I'm sorry, guys. Try not to hate me too much. I'm just calling it the way I see it. I'm a straight shooter, as you know. I try to give you the real deal, keep it real to level 10, which is the highest level of keeping it legit. Jim Kane says, let's see, I agree that gifted kids can experiment with a super fast ball, but for the average six to seven or eight year old who may lack the confidence and possibly be introverted, interesting, Jim, introverted, well, Chris, I will trust a top coach to figure out what is best for their students. Maybe a bigger sponge ball to start out with. I have a personal story I can share sometime in regards to the sponge ball pop, uh, sparking an interest in a child turned off by the traditional ball. Actually, Jim, I think that's a very good point. And I think that there is evidence, a lot of evidence, whether it's anecdotal evidence, experiential evidence, and and some studies that show that, like there's an Australian, uh, Australian study that shows that the, the red, orange, green, the balls make the game a lot more fun and enjoyable for children. So I think there's a lot of support for that. So that claim is a good one. And I think it's a very good argument. What I'm saying is, I see many, many coaches and leaders in the industry conflate, and that means to mix the two. They conflate the evidence for fun and enjoyable and getting more satisfaction with elite development. And those those are not the same thing. Now you can say that there's evidence for more satisfaction for young kids to play with a red ball or an orange ball. But that's very different from saying that a red and orange ball is a quote unquote better way to develop elite or serious players or competitive players. And I see that myth, this is getting back to the myth that I started the show with. I see that myth propounded, uh, spread all the time. I see it everywhere. I see it in literature, I see it in advertisements, I see it in articles, I see it at conferences, and it's a myth. It's a myth that there's evidence that using a red or an orange ball is a better, more efficient, more productive, faster way, whatever you want to say, is a better way to develop elite, serious players, and that's sort of the, that's the beef I have. You know, with, with the, the way it's being marketed, the way it's being spoken about, it's a myth. It's a fallacy. And it's wrong to conflate the two, to, to, conf- to take the evidence and use, uh, the evidence of satisfaction as evidence for, uh, better high performance players. And I see that quite frequently out there in the industry. And I'm just going to call it the way it is because, you know, I like to call it out. That's the way I see it. Okay. Hugo Ball Green says, Hugo Ball Green is blowing up the program tonight. He says, in France, we use a big, slow plastic ball for young kids starting tennis. I find it very effective because due to the size and speed, it allows a lot of repetition and volume of play. So, yeah, this is an interesting new phenomenon in France. They're using like this bigger, even bigger than the foam balls that we have here in the U.S. And I know that's starting to catch on. And I think that's cool, man. You get a kid like three years old, four years old, five years old. I'm not going to use a yellow ball with that kid. We're going to use a soft ball because at that age, what's it all about? It's about you know having fun, enjoying hitting the ball, getting a good rally. And the kids are not very well formed. But once those kids start to hit, you know, six, seven, eight, if they're you know relatively talented, I, I, I deal with a lot of those kids who have maybe more ability than the average kid. I I don't deal with too many. I don't have too many recreation. I don't coach any recreational kids, but I would say on the average, the kids that I work with are relatively, you know, talented athletes. You know, they don't need to to use a slow ball. They're they're perfectly fine uh, with a faster ball. I think the modified racket makes sense because you don't want to tear up their shoulder or get any potential limb uh, joint injuries, you know, so... That's that's kind of how I see it. Now, if a player if a player it does want to go through that progression, can it be done well? Yeah, I think it can be done well. Let's look to France. Let's look to Belgium. You know You can develop a very very good elite players using that progression, but it has to be done right. You have to teach the skills well. This is why I say it gets back to the coach. It gets back to the system and the method that the coach is using gets back to the parents and what they're stressing, you know. So you can do a red, orange, green really badly or you can do it really well. So, for example, you see you, you can get a really beautiful uh, game coming out of red, orange, green, you know, maybe like nine or ten. I wouldn't say wait too long because I think those players should get adjusted fairly early to the speed of a normal uh, ball and also to the the size of covering a big court, you know, so that they can build their stamina and their movement and their reaction and their agility on the big court. So I, I just, I get a little nervous when a player's like 11, 12, and they still have never played real tennis, you know, for, I know some people object to that term, but, you know, they've never played yellow ball, full court tennis, and they're like hitting 12. I have seen that here in the U.S. I've had players come to me, Again, this is my own personal experience. These are anecdotes. So that's what we have to go on here. And I've seen players who haven't hit a yellow ball. They're 12 years old. They just start around 12 to hit a yellow ball. And this may be, some, this may be just a case-by-case situation, but in the U.S., I see a lot of those kids, and they can't crack an egg. I don't know why that is. You know, Maybe they're, they're hitting softly, to keep the ball in a small court. I think that happens a lot. Sometimes you see that at orange ball tournaments here in the US. For some reason, you, when you see the national championships for Belgium in like eight and under or 10 and under, it looks real good. It looks good to me. I see racket speed, I see acceleration, I see elasticity, I see good movement, and I see nice strokes. You know, I see. The things that I would like to see in a young kid, I see it in Belgium. You see it in France. But for some reason here in the U.S., there's some sort of disconnect. It's not working. It's, uh, I think it comes back to the coaches. It comes back to the coaches and the parents, what what they're emphasizing, you know, what skills they're developing, and whether they're just playing games or if they're spending a lot of time building skill, building technique. And the players that I see coming out uh, of of red, orange, green at 9 or 10 or 11, God forbid, 11 or 12, and they haven't played on the full court yet, haven't played with a, a yellow ball yet, those kids are behind a lot of other, those kids are behind, let's face it, they have they have a big gap to catch up, they have a gap to close, and I just get nervous if that gap is, is uh, too big that those kids may never catch up, you know? So I I was mentioning that I have some players who have come to me who played a lot of uh, low-compression ball and and mini-tennis, and they didn't learn to accelerate when they were young because they didn't want to hit the ball too far. Like, for example, I have this little boy who I coach who's a pretty strong kid. And when he played orange and he went through the orange progression, the USDA orange progression, he would have to go and decelerate all his shots. You know, he'd sort of have to uh, poke poke his shots. You know, um, he would have to push his shots because if he swung full force, it would go out and he would lose the point. So that's just you know a, a personal ex- uh, example uh, story. You know, it's not a, obviously not a. I can't say that's, uh, that applies to everyone writ large, but that is uh, some. Uh, I've had some experiences like that. I've seen it with my own eyes, you know, where this kid couldn't take a full cut at the ball. So I don't think that's really healthy for a young kid who's powerful. And I've seen a lot of orange ball matches where the kids are not moving well. Not like in Belgium, man. Those kids are moving beautifully in Belgium. In, in the U.S., for some reason, the kids... I I think they're not taught the movement skills. The coaches are not teaching it, you know? They don't, the kids aren't moving that well. They're not moving gracefully or fluidly. And there's a lot of standing around and slapping the ball with stiff form, you know, bad technique, you know. What can I say? That's what I'm seeing. What are you guys seeing in your neck of the woods? You see the same thing? You're seeing beautiful stuff? What, What are you seeing? Johnny Pauls is watching. Thank you for supporting the program. Appreciate it. Jesse Cooper has a comment. Let's see what he says. Ooh, it's a long comment. Jesse, you're really getting after it, man. All right, let's see what you got here. says, what did the organization start using colorful balls? What are they saying about not using the normal ball? Do you mean the USDA? Are you in the US, Jesse? Or are you international? We have a lot of international coaches who watch the show. In the USDA, uh, it's a mandate that we use the red, orange, green. Uh, there's a progression in tournaments. I guess I guess it's not a mandate as a coach. You can teach any way you want, but there's a heavy pressure from the USDA. Let's put it that way. There's a lot of peer pressure and there's a lot of organizational pressure to use the red, orange, green on the coaching court. And we have a mandate here in the U.S. that we have the, the kids have to play orange ball on a 60-foot court when they're little. They have to go through an orange ball progression. It's not the end of the world. you know. It, if it's a good player, they can get through it pretty fast. But it's a pain in the ass for a lot of parents and a lot of kids who maybe have... Uh, Maybe they're practicing uh, at a higher level and they have to go back and play lower level orange ball tournaments. Not really ideal. Uh, Let's see. uh, uh, Jesse has a question. Thanks for all the questions, Jesse. Thank you for putting all your thoughts down and uh, contributing. So he says, also, why do the kids need to play those USTA tournaments? Why not skip it and the coach set up competitions that are suitable for their development? Yes, and actually, there's a a lot of parents who are doing that now. Some parents will play exclusively like the Little Mo circuit. Uh, Many parents are playing UTR now because they're unhappy with the USDA progression. It's just kind of a pain in the ass, kind of annoying. And I think USDA should tread carefully because they, they risk losing many families to other tournament systems, other tournament calendars. And I don't, I could see a broad based boycott of USDA tournaments. I could see UTR taking over a lot of the junior scene. There's Little Mo does a good job. There are other organizations that are running junior international tournaments. So I just think I don't have any ill will towards the USDA. I have lots of friends in the USDA. I know a lot of good coaches in the USDA and smart people there. Just, this is another just misguided, um, a misguided uh, proposal and plan for uh, and, and mandate. And it reminds me sort of like the net generation thing. I, I wasn't meaning to talk about net generation. But in my opinion, net generation is like a huge waste of marketing resources. I think that that money Incredible! It must be a lot of money. Very slick marketing materials for net generation could be used for much better purposes. For example, I don't really see that marketing campaign taking off. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't really see it working. I don't see a lot of coaches adhering to the net generation protocols. But you know, that's just kind of off. Maybe a related topic. But I just think you know USDA is making another blunder here. uh, Another way that they're they're turning off parents. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if more and more parents started boycotting USDA tournaments and started playing more UTR, or Little Mo, or some combination of their other, or some of the other organizations like, you know, like 10 Pro. And there are other, other organizations running uh, tournaments for juniors, and they're just innovating, you know. The USDA is so stuck. They're so rigid, and, and they're so slow to respond, you know. They don't, they don't have a lot of agility, and you just see some of these startups and some of these new organizations running more innovative tournaments with, uh, you know, that allow maybe allow coaching or that are more fun for the kids who just run better, you know, and the USDA just falling behind and just getting caught up with, you know, I don't know if it's too many committees or a lot of red tape and bureaucracy, but, you know, they need to be more nimble and they need to be more innovative and get a better read on their customer base, You know, get a better read on the client, the families out there. I'm very in touch with what those people are feeling and what they're experiencing. And I, I don't think USDA is very in touch with that. And, and as, as is very common, they, they have sort of a deaf ear. They're very tone deaf when it comes to listening to what parents and families are experiencing. I don't know why bureaucratically and organizationally they have struggled with that but it's it's not the first time that usda has has been somewhat tone deaf to what's happening out in the industry out in the in the trenches or in the in on on the court with uh, if for juniors you know so you know that's sort of my take on that jesse says he's in houston he says that are you using yellow ball jesse is that what you're doing uh, let me know if you're using yellow ball or if you're using the, the red, orange, green system. You know, I think, like I'm saying, it's good to understand both methods and maybe even have some skill in, in using both systems, but I don't think it's a black and white thing. And I'm definitely not completely anti colored ball or anti mini tennis. I, I hope you guys are seeing that. I'm, I'm trying to strike a middle road here and I'm trying to find nuance in between two very divergent points of view and, in, in my opinion, very cult-like points of view. The, the, the red-orange-green is like a cult now in the U.S. where you can't even talk to some of these folks. It's like a, a religious, it's like trying to talk to a religious zealot who won't listen to any reason or, or fact or, 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 you know, or... Evidence, you know, and it it can be the same on the yellow ball side, you have traditional coaches or coaches who are, you know, insistent on using a yellow ball exclusively, and they won't listen to any reason on their side either. So I'm just sort of trying to strike a middle road here, trying to find some nuance in the this controversial debate. And I hope you guys uh, find it helpful. You know, I know that for parents, and i I do do this show for a lot of parents and families. I know that this is a very common question. I get this question all the time from parents who just want to do the best thing for their kid. You know, they want their kid to be safe. They want them to have a healthy U10 development and the parents are very confused and they get a lot of, I think, misguided messages from the coaching community. And from the club leadership and from the tennis leadership in general, uh, or writ large, you know that the leadership uh, in tennis just sort of spins, uh, you know, spins a a web uh, of a marketing web that says you got to do it this way. You know, I don't want to get too conspiratorial, but you know, there is a lot. There is also a big economic factor in red, orange, green. There's an underlying. There's money involved, guys. I hope you understand that, that. A lot of the marketing push for red, orange, green is driven by the industry and you, know, the ball sales and the racket sales. You know, there's these, getting people to upgrade their rackets every year is very good for the, the racket manufacturers, getting people to buy the expensive colored balls. Is very good for the ball manufacturers. So there, there is you have to understand there, there is uh, some economics at play here too that sort of drive the discussion that drive the messaging in the industry and you know that that can sometimes cloud cloud the reality you know and that can sometimes create uh, misimpression and and uh, and. Um, it can create a lot of misunderstandings, let's put it that way, in the industry itself. And that trickles down to the parents who are just trying to do the best things for their kids. So let's see who's uh, tuning in. Very lively action tonight on the program, guys. I'm starting to feel a little bit tired after my 12-hour shift on the tennis courts. I might have to go sleepy night-night soon, but let me... Let me try to answer a few more questions before I go. Did I even get to my topic about, I didn't get to the topic of how kids should jump on their ground strokes and kids should, uh, the follow-through to the shoulder is dead. It's dying. So maybe we'll, you know, that's a, that's a common topic that I like to discuss. So we, we, can, we can get into that a little more, maybe on another program. But guys, it is dying. The follow-through to the shoulder is dying If you didn't realize that, it's time to wake up and face the reality that follow throughs to the top of the shoulder. If they're not dead already, they are dying relatively quickly. Also, staying grounded with both feet, touching the surface of the court during all strokes, is also dying. And players more and more are leaving the ground. You know, they're using their legs to push. And lift their feet off the ground and we should teach that it is an evolution it's a trend and it's becoming more and more common now and I I teach it to all my young kids teach them how to jump teach them how to use their legs and spin their hips and get airborne in a balanced way and we should be teaching that to young high-performance players we don't have to have all of our U10 players stiff and grounded and that's what I see So many players, 9, 10, 11, and they come to me stiff and grounded. So their legs, their feet are stuck to the ground and their arm movements are stiff. Guys, we should teach elasticity and good kinetic chain loading and get those kids spinning their hips and getting off the ground whenever they can or at least getting one foot off the ground with a good body rotation and we should get that elasticity in the arm or the arms, whether it's a, a backhand or a four a two hander or a one hander. If I could just get more players coming out of U ten who have some of that, like the little Belgian kids. They're elastic, they move gracefully and they have good modern biomechanics. Those are the kids, that's how we should be teaching U10. It doesn't have to be stiff, old school, no movement. And that's what I see all the time in orange ball tournaments, driving me bananas. It's driving me cray-cray. Salvador Gomez, my amigo, que pasa, que paso, Uh, my buddy from the Philippines. Cool, man. Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate it, buddy. Good to have you back on the program. The program is blowing up tonight. Got a lot of new viewers and a lot of comments on the board. I appreciate all the enthusiasm, and I appreciate your support. It's definitely not easy to do a show every Sunday after a long weekend on the courts, but you know, I enjoy it. I enjoy sharing the knowledge and also learning from you guys, learning from your experiences and we have a great discussion every Sunday night. So thank you. I appreciate you guys. Tell your friends, please. Give the program a like. Give it a thumbs up. Tell, uh, share. Share the links so that we can get more coaches and parents tuning into the show. And if you have uh, trouble viewing the show on Sunday night, guys, we have the the replay is always on my Facebook page, so you can always find the replays of our shows. And also, we we keep an archive of all the shows on our YouTube channel, which is YouTube.com forward slash Chris Lewitt. So if you go to the Chris Lewitt Tennis YouTube channel, it's YouTube.com slash forward slash Chris Lewitt, and you can find all of the shows. This is our season number two. This is episode two of season two. We have a whole First season, I think we have about 17 episodes, and also all of these shows are translated and transferred onto a podcast platform, so you can get all of these shows when you're jogging, when you're in the car, when you don't have the ability to watch, you can listen to my, my voice, and you can uh, participate in the show and enjoy uh, all of the discussion that we have. You can listen to that on your favorite podcasting platform, whether it's iTunes or Google Play or SoundCloud or, or Stitcher, whatever your favorite platform is, this show is rebroadcast on, on podcast, which I think is great because a lot of times I know that I'm really busy and I don't have time to watch uh, something, a, a video or something on, on the television or on the Internet, but I do usually have time to... Uh, you know, flip my headphones on and listen to a podcast. And in fact, I stay up to date on a lot of the industry trends through podcasts. You know, there's, there are some good tennis podcasts. I think we have the market on high performance. I don't know anyone who's doing a high performance podcast like us, where you can, you know, talk about the hot topics in junior development and, and have high level technique discussions and you know, deal with some of the controversies in, per, in the high performance community. I don't know anyone who's doing a show like that. You know, there, there are some uh, general, generally good tennis podcasts on, on, on some general trends, occasionally have some really good guests. So that's what I look for. I look for a really good guest. Most of the podcasts are guest based. So yeah, once in a while, some guests tuning in. But a lot of those podcasts are for like recreational players you know, four, you know, 3.0, 4.0 adults. I mean, that's not really what we're doing. I mean, those players are welcome to tune in and listen to our show and learn about high performance. But this show is all about serious training, junior development. This is the Prodigy Maker Show. You know, this is about how do you develop top players, how do you develop top juniors. And, yeah, we cover some other topics in high performance, some other topics, pro pro tour development, things like that, uh, pro tour tennis and and topics like that. But, you know, uh, I think we have a a very unique focus in terms of of the podcast and and sort of the niche that we're in. So guys, I appreciate you tuning in. I am going to sign off here. I appreciate all of the support that we've had tonight and all of your comments and enthusiasm. I will see you guys on the next program. Remember, every Sunday night, 9.45 p.m., And you can join me live or you can catch the replays in the podcast. Really appreciate all the thumbs up I'm getting. I appreciate your support. Biggest thing I could ask you guys is try to share. Try to tell your friends. Say, hey, this guy Chris, he's doing a good show. He's staying up late Sunday night and he's dropping the knowledge and he's trying to take on some of the big topics in high performance. So if you have friends who have juniors or if you have friends who are high performance coaches or things like that, appreciate you sharing the show with them so we can grow a bigger audience. And that way we can all share in in the knowledge and experience that we have. So thank you guys. God bless. Have a good night. Sammy says good night. I don't think he's napping. I don't know what he's running around my house. I got to go get Sammy. Appreciate it, guys. And I'll see you on the next Sunday program.